0: A symphony of birdsong awakens me in the Ratea forest. A cushion of grass, my mattress, and just enough water left for breakfast. We spent the night below the summit of Umaumakaru, not able to make it out of the forest before dark. The views were few and far between, closed in by the lush, overgrown bush. Before I went to bed, I used nearly every wet wipe in my possession to get the mud off my body before crawling into my sleeping bag for what turned out to be a chilly night. But my shoes and socks? They're caked with the stuff. And I'm putting off placing my feet in them for as long as possible. I'm Allison Young, and this is the P-RAG, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I am the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Every week I share with you what it's like on the trail, why anyone would want to walk that far, and while it may not be a glamorous life, why it's one of the most fulfilling. A big shout-out to Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the P-RAG podcast. If you want to be a Blissful Hiker... Leckies should be in your hands. And the P-rag, you may wonder? It's a small accessory with a big job. It's one that allows a female solo-through hiker to be her badass self. Ultralighters turn their noses up at any luxury. But there's no way I'd skimp on camp shoes. Let me tell you about my camp shoes. They're a pair of fake Crocs that I found at Goodwill. I think there was actually a lawsuit surrounding this brand of gardening clog, as if rubber slip-ons can be trademarked. They're slightly too small, and I had the bright idea that I could stretch them just by wearing them around the house. What I found was, one, that doesn't work, and two, you actually can stretch them by putting them in the dryer for three minutes and then putting them on boiling hot after you've put on two pairs of thick socks. (laughs) It worked like a dream, and I have these Frankenstein-stretched-out clogs on right now as I eat breakfast and pack up olive oil, my drab-colored backpack. I did one other really smart thing I realize on this glorious sunny morning. I quit drinking coffee before the trip. I know it sounds like a really small thing, but I'm one of those people who's easily addicted to caffeine, and I'll suffer headaches should I miss my morning joe. Without the addiction, there's no need to fuss with a cooked breakfast, and I can simply grab a few bars and be on my way. But yes, I'm stalling. I just can't face my shoes and socks. Sure, I know, I could put on my spare socks, but then I'd have two sodden pairs of socks, and it's kind of nice to have a fresh pair to sleep in. And what's running through my head right now is that Nike ad, Just do it! Right then, Irene pokes out of her tent, surprised that I'm up so early, reminding me we still have a few hours to walk with a whole lot more mud ahead. Ha! And you thought I was having a nice walk in the forest. She also reminds me that when we come out, a burger awaits at the dairy or convenience store, but it's only open until noon, so we gotta get going. Food is the greatest motivator of this blissful hiker, and perhaps any long-distance hiker. And the socks go on, cold and clammy. (gasps) And then the shoes. Only five days, but they're already getting pretty broken in. And I'm off, slowly working my way towards farmland. It's no less muddy here, and it's slow going. But fences appear, a stile. Four abalone shells nailed to a tree— and a giant, random, cast-iron kettle hanging on a nail. Irene is right. There is still mud. a halfway up the calves, soul-destroying indignity of ooze. And then I fall down, flat on my bum, with a loud no! Mud and wet oozes into my panties. Will this forest ever end? Invasive gorse lines the trail, reaching out to scratch me. I'm kind of proud right now of choosing to hike in long sleeves and long pants, even though they're wet and muddy. And then, all of a sudden, the forest ends. Opening to fields and hills beyond, a trail of dried cowpies welcome me to a gentle slope, their recent owners returning my moo. A horse lets me stroke her soft, redolent face. Soon I'm off the grass, a farm track appears, and the heavy caked mud falls off my feet with every step. About a dozen dogs begin barking when I'm still ten minutes up the hill. It's long strides now to the sweet camping area that I'd hoped to reach last night, asking only for koha, or donations. I work my way down to the riverbank and step gingerly into the gentle current. The mud is as thick as gumbo, so I just sit down, fully clothed, and scrape it off. Out of the forest, through a farm, and then onto road. Well, this is one of the major complaints about the Te Araroa. There's not too much they can do about it in some areas, as it's the only way through. The trouble is, the roads have very little verge to walk on, leaving little margin for error. And it also seems the drivers either have no idea what we're doing here, Or simply don't care. Really? You needed to pass that guy right there, only centimeters from flattening me? Nice. Thanks a lot. Okay, Al, calm down. It's only a few more K to a hamburger. And don't forget to face traffic. Walk on the right. It's really not that bad, as the road slowly climbs up. The Mangamooka Dairy right at the top of this hill. I make it just in time. Richard and Jane, who also crowded into the grassy area last night, along with Rowan and Rebecca and Irene, all catching up, our phones charging on top of a freezer of frozen pizzas. The owners are not crazy about us visiting, even though we all eat extra-large burgers and thick shakes, something we might call milkshakes in the U.S. When I ask to fill my water bottle, I'm told to use a hose out back. And I decide instead, eh, I'm just going to push on ahead and find a stream. Irene and I walk together up lovely Omahatu Road towards More Forest. We clamber down under a bridge to fill our bottles and take a swim in the deep pool. A farmer comes to the gate with a dog perched on back of his four-by-four. He tells me she's called Penelope. When I say her name, she leaps off to come for a hello until he whistles her back to work, bringing in the cows for milking. Another fellow comes by in a motorbike, muddy boots, long gaiters, and shorts. He's a milk He owns the cattle, but borrows the land. Woofers, he explains, would be those who work the land for room and board. Soon we turn back into the forest. Signs everywhere tell us to stay on the track to avoid spreading cowrie dieback. Irene tells me about her relationships with family members. Some controlling, some impossible. She says she has broad shoulders, but some see her as cool and aloof. She doesn't feel that way. She's just too busy with her own life to get drawn into drama. I wish I had some of Irene in me. Up and up we go through magnificent cowrie, but on this forest track we can walk and talk and see our next foot placements. This peaceful forest at four o'clock in the afternoon is quite the contrast from last night's panic to find a suitable grassy bit as the sun went down. A sign points to the giant stump, which is a bit of a letdown. I can't tell if what I see is blocking the true giant stump, but one look past it into the muddy, wet darkness brings on this kind of forest PTSD, and it sends me back to the track and towards tonight's camp spot. Apple Dam Camp is another wide, grassy spot in the bush. Belgian Bram and Aussie Ondi are camping here already, and I set close by before heading to the perfect little washing stream, cool on my tired feet as I scrub out the last of the thick, pasty mud in my socks and try as I might to get the mud out from around my nails. It's just about five o'clock, but I'm so tired, I'm out like a light. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker, I am the Blissful Hiker. I'm a sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Thanks so much to Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the P-Rag Podcast. And if you're enjoying the storytelling, thanks so much. I'd ask you a favor to rate it and maybe better yet, review it at Apple Podcasts. This will really help people find the PRAG. A P-RAG is a small accessory with a big job. Mine is just a bandana tied to the back of olive oil. Every bit of gear is like the P-rag, each one thoughtfully chosen and weighed and packed. I'm not a huge gearhead, but I have been testing things out for many years, over many miles and many conditions. And a lot of pieces have gotten names. You've heard some of them. Mostly my followers have named them, like my backpack, olive oil, and the alley coop, my tent. You can see my full gear list, and you can even download a copy of it to take with you at blissfulhiker.com. I wake up this morning at Apple Dam, and it's not a good one. My gear worked splendidly. I mean kept me warm and dry, but it rained all night long. Waking up in rain is absolutely depleting when you're a through hiker. I mean, ask anyone. They'll tell you it's not the rain itself that's the problem. It's packing in rain. It's an intricate dance of putting on rain gear and trying to keep everything dry as you slowly pack it up. My sleeping quilt, my clothes, all in waterproof bags, and myself in a kind of waterproof rain gear bag. But honestly, it's more the getting up that's the problem. That initial sitting up and committing to moving ahead with my day. What works best for me is to first let the air out of the mattress. It sends a signal to my subconscious that there's no going back. And then the next steps become inevitable. Rolling up and stuffing the mattress with my tiny blow-up pillow. Stuffing the quilt and placing every small item I've taken out of bags through the night back into their compartments. I really take so little stuff with me on a thru-hike. It's not hard to keep track. That being said, a thru-hiker needs to be cognizant of the whereabouts of all things, since each item serves a purpose and is hardly extraneous. So to lose something could be mildly catastrophic. I tend to pack everything in exactly the same place, and when I take them out in my tent, I put them all in the same place too. It's a little bit anal, but it works. I crawl out of the tent backwards, rump first, my head last, trying to keep my hands dry. Once I'm up, it's not so hard to keep the momentum going. I feel okay since the distance is only 13 miles today. But then Irene spills out of her tent and says, you know what, we got that wrong. It's actually over 20 miles. Buck up, buttercup. The bushwalk is closed and the whole day is on forest track. This cannot be hard walking. And it's not, it's just far. It's more like a long, long walk up Summit Avenue in St. Paul where I live. One foot in front of the other, forward motion from point A to point B. Wait a minute, didn't I say that about the 90 mile beach too? Of course, when it's just a walk without much challenge, my mind wanders, and I begin to ruminate about home and work and the life I've left behind. I wanted and needed so much to see what would happen to my mind, body, and spirit if I gave a long-distance through hike a try. Was it worth it? And I feel sort of silly, traveling to the other side of the earth to skirt the famous New Zealand bush by walking on a road, even if it's nearly completely void of traffic. I pass pastel-colored bee boxes in uneven stacks, buzzing workers swarming the white-flowered manuka nearby. A slow-moving vehicle crawls closer, and two hunters lean out to ensure I take the right turn at the next fork. Even though it's midday, I pose my standard through high question. Do you have a beer you could sell me? <laughs> they hunt around in the back seat and offer me a wild turkey. I grimace fearing they're going to hand me a hunk of meat. Instead, it's a bottled cocktail of real Kentucky bourbon and soda. I thank my trail angel friends and wave as they depart in a cloud of dust. So now I've got a drink in hand, and it's just about time to look for a place to have lunch. And I send out to the universe three wishes for shade, a backrest, and a view. Within ten minutes, a perfect spot appears under palms looking out across rolling green mountains dotted with forest. I wash down a lunch of salami and cheese with that delicious wild turkey just as Irene rounds the corner singing Funky Town at the top of her lungs. The four of us leapfrog the rest of the afternoon towards the Piketty Forest in good camping. Slowly descending the ridge, the shadows get longer and Toohey's drunk on fermented berries chortle from the cowries. Only moments to the end, I break off from the rest and take a detour to Manginangina. It's one of the only remaining subtropical rainforests in Northland. Since the time of the colonists, about 3% of this vast forest remains, a place that kiwi, bats, and kauri snails call home. Keeping the trees safe, I have a boardwalk, a blessed boardwalk, above the mud and the roots, allowing me to just walk and take it all in. The cool and fresh pungency overwhelm me as I come upon a giant cowrie hundreds of years old. A fat trunk in soft gray holds huge arms aloft, creating a kind of crown It would take 12 blissful hikers, arms outstretched, to hug this beast. She grew solo, her family just below in a circular cluster, living as they are wont to do, right in the heart of a swamp. Vines creep up their leathery, moss-covered bark with protruding Dr. Seussian heads. Nearby, a sign explains how hard foresters work to eradicate invasives. Rats, stoats, and as cute as they might be, possums. It's an ecosystem here of 200 species, one of the most diverse in the world. Cowrie, as I've explained, are conifers, so it's no wonder it feels like Jurassic Park in here. They came of age with dinosaurs. And this moment right now, it's magic. It's holy. It's like walking into a cathedral, Muir Woods of Australasia. It's hard to say goodbye, but the coolness and birdsong, as well as my own sense of wonder, follow me the final kilometer to camp. The alley coop is up fast, right before a brief downpour moves in, then quickly dries up in brilliant sunshine. I know I promised last week that I'd take you as far as the Bay of Islands, but I didn't quite make it. The trail, if you can even call it a trail, was easy, mostly on mud-free farm track and I really should have just gotten ahead in these last two days. But what surprised me was that even when moving seemed effortless, the nourishing work of my soul still happened. And actually, it caused me to savor the section a lot. I saw beautiful things, and mostly, except for the final forest, on a more subtle level. Aside from needing to find water and places to camp, the getting-there aspect was pretty much absent. My walking became an act for its own sake. The continuous rhythmic perambulation and my own company and observations brought me to the present moment of my feet very simply walking on this earth. And you know what? That's precisely why I came here. The flute music you're hearing is me with my friend pianist Vicki Selden. You can find a link for the music in the show notes, and you can read more about me and my hikes and this show at blissfulhiker.com. If you enjoy listening to The P-Rag, consider giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. Thanks so much to Leckie for their support, and also for all of us badass women out there not needing permission to tie a bandana to our packs and make our walks through life no fuss or muss and a little more blissful. And I promise, next week we're back at the ocean, this time the Pacific Ocean and the stunningly beautiful Bay of Islands. Until then, happy trails.